Welcome to Sundays with Montrose Bible Church. We're glad you're here to join us in a study of God's Word. I'll be starting a new series from the book of Habakkuk. This message deals with important questions that are asked today as they were over 2,500 years ago. Habakkuk explores these questions with God, asking, why does evil, sin, and injustice go on unchecked? The prophet struggles with how long will this go on and why does it go on? It's a question we may struggle with ourselves. Why does it seem like wickedness is prevailing over what is good and righteous? Why does it feel like the wicked are prospering and the righteous are oppressed? As a result of these feelings, we conclude that, we conclude that God is doing nothing about this dilemma. Secondly, Habakkuk struggles with how God can use a very wicked nation to punish his own people. The prophet struggles to see how this response is consistent with God's character. How can a holy and righteous God use an evil nation to accomplish his purposes? However, when those questions are seen from God's perspective, it causes the prophet to break out in worship. Habakkuk is one of the minor prophets. He is not considered a minor prophet because his message is less significant or unimportant, but rather the Old Testament prophets have been divided between major and minor based on the length of the books they wrote. Habakkuk is brief, only three chapters and 56 verses long. By word count, it's the fourth shortest book in the Old Testament. Only Obadiah, Nahum, and Haggai are shorter. Habakkuk is a unique prophet because he did not speak for God to the people, but spoke for God about his people. Let me say that again. Habakkuk is a unique prophet because he did not speak for God to the people, but spoke to God about the people. Habakkuk is a book of poetry and prophecy. The poetry of the book is sophisticated, but the prophecy of the book is simple. The prophet presents his complaints and questions to God, and God responds. The book is about faith, faithfulness, and justice. As we explore the book, we will learn of the character of God, or Yahweh, as he is known in Hebrew, meaning I am who I am. And we will be reminded that Yahweh is always consistent with who he is. We will see that people are viewed as righteous or wicked based on their allegiance to Yahweh. It helps us to understand the gospel and how a follower of Yahweh should live. The righteous or just man shall live by faith. This is one of the better known verses in the book found in chapter 2, verse 4. In chapters 1 and 2, we will see Habakkuk's questions or complaint explored. This unfolds as a dialogue between the prophet Habakkuk and Yahweh. In chapter 3, we'll see a beautiful prayer of worship 
to the all-sufficient and almighty Yahweh, whose ways are always right and just, and whose timing is always perfect. He is sovereign over all things. We can rest in Him completely and trust His ways. Before we turn to our passage, let's look at the time and location of when and where this book was written in order to understand the context. Habakkuk was written in the 7th century B.C., and the prophet was a contemporary of the prophets Jeremiah, Nahum, and Zephaniah. The reference to the Chaldeans in Habakkuk 1.6 places the prophet firmly in a crisis-filled historical context. The Chaldeans, also known as the Babylonians, were on the rise beginning in 626 B.C. Assyria, the predominant power, was beginning to be overtaken by the Chaldeans. The Assyrians in 726 B.C. had been used by God to punish Israel, the northern kingdom. Now God was about to use the Chaldeans, a reference to their ethnicity, or the Babylonians, a reference to their geography, to punish Judah, also known as the southern kingdom of Israel. King Josiah in 622 B.C., king of Judah, had started a series of spiritual reforms after finding the book of the law in the temple. Upon his death and a rapid succession of his three sons and a grandson, these kings had quickly led the nation down a disastrous path of following evil. This puts us in the time frame in which Habakkuk writes. Please take your Bibles, if you will, and open them to Habakkuk. It's in the back of the Old Testament, and it's tucked right after Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, and Nahum. We're going to consider chapter 1 this morning, verses 1 through 11. The oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw. How long, O Lord, will I call for your help, and you will not hear? I cry out to you, violence, yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore, the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. Look among the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder, because I am doing something in your days. You would not believe if you were told. For behold, I am rising up the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. They are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate with themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and keener than wolves in the evening. Their horsemen come galloping. The horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swooping down to devour. All of them come for violence. Their horde of faces moves forward. They collect captives like sand. They mock at kings. And rulers are a laughing matter to them. They laugh at every fortress and heap up rubble to capture it. Then they will sweep through like the wind and pass on. 
but they will be held guilty. They whose strength is their God. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do just thank you for again this time to open your word, to hear your instructions for our life, to hear your guidance and your correction to walk in your ways. You are the I am, the great I am, who has put all things together and holds all things together. So we come before you expectantly hearing, waiting to hear from you through your word, waiting to be challenged to, again, walk in your ways and live faithfully for you. So bless our time together, remove distractions uh, from our hearts, use my words to lift your name up and not be distracting, and we pray that we would go forth encouraged in our faithfulness to walk in your ways, and we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Look in verse 1, the oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw. Habakkuk is only mentioned twice in the Bible. Here in verse 1 where he is identified as a prophet, and again in chapter 3 verse 1 which states, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shigunath, where we see him again identified as a prophet. We know nothing of his birthplace or ancestry, all we know about him is what we can deduct from his writings. He hates sin. He wants to see wrong write it and is full of praise for Yahweh, the creator, sustainer, and sovereign of the universe. He is very concerned with the problem of evil and human suffering. His name is derived from the Hebrew word meaning to embrace. It's the idea of a wrestler embracing his opponent with whom he is contending. The book is described as an oracle or burden. That is the thing to be lifted up. It is what Habakkuk the prophet saw or beheld. If ever there was a weighty manner to lift up, this is one. Habakkuk felt the weight of God's predictions and vision. Judgment was coming to Judah in a different manner and time frame than Habakkuk expected. Yet in the middle of this deep burden, Habakkuk finds hope, joy, and strength in Yahweh. May we do the same. First we consider Habakkuk's complaint. Verse 2, O Lord, how long will I call for help and you will not hear. I cry out to you, violence, yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore, the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. This book is unique as a prophet asks questions of God. Habakkuk asks the following of the Lord in verse 2. How long, O Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear? God appears to be silent and inactive. The prophet has been praying for a long, long time 
but he doesn't think he has gotten a response from the Lord. Maybe you can identify. Have you ever felt like God was not hearing or listening to you? It's a common theme among humanity. The question how long is asked 65 times in the Bible. For example, David writes in Psalm 13, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, or I sleep the sleep of death, and my enemy will say, I have overcome him. Habakkuk, like David, felt that the enemy was winning against the righteous. God's name was being defamed by those evil ones who lived unrestrained, and they were not being punished for their sin. Habakkuk kept reminding the Lord of all the evil and violence around him, but Habakkuk could not see what God was doing. Why was God not saving his people. Habakkuk couldn't understand why God had not acted. John Calvin writes the following. The prophet of God had often prayed to God to correct the people for their wickedness or to contrive some means to prevent so much licentiousness in sinning. It's indeed probable that the prophet had prayed so long as there was any hope. But when he saw that things were past recovery, he then prayed more honestly that God would take the office of a judge and chastise the people. For though the prophet really condoled with those who perished and was touched, as I said, with a serious concern for their public safety, he yet preferred the glory of God. When therefore he saw that boldness in sin increased through impunity, and that the Jews in a manner mocked God when they found they could sin without being punished, he could not endure such unbridled wantonness. Continue by looking at verses 3 and 4. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore, the law is ignored. And justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. Habakkuk asks, why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look at wickedness? We understand his question. When evil appears to be growing and righteousness appears to be declining, it is frustrating for those who follow God. Followers of Yahweh have experienced this many times. Times. Remember how Noah experienced evil before the flood? Remember the prophet Jonah not wanting to go to Nineveh because of their rampant sin? Consider the time in which we live, where good is called evil and evil is called good. Habakkuk understood the truth expressed in Proverbs 14, 34. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Sin is so destructive. Habakkuk was weary, was weary from seeing it run rampant in Judah. 
and its impact it had on so many people, including himself. He was even more distressed that the evil propagated by the Jewish people defamed the name of Yahweh. But perhaps, during this difficult time, something was happening. Maybe God was working and Habakkuk just didn't see it. Perhaps Habakkuk needed to see that his vision was limited. Perhaps in these difficulties, we experience God is also at work even if we can't see it. We must acknowledge that we can't see the big picture. Because the reality is, God is working out his eternal plan and it will not be thwarted. It is true that God is at work all the time, even when we can't see it. We need to trust him. God's eternal plan is being carried out and it will be fulfilled. He is using the things we experience and encounter in our lives so that he is glorified and so that we might know him better. Charles Spurgeon preached an entire message on this question of why we were made to see iniquity and look on wickedness. He proposes several reasons why we are made to see sin around us. It may be answered in these ways. First, to let you see what you might have become. But there, for the grace of God, go I. When we see sin in others, it reminds us that sin is crouching at our door. With God's help, we can have victory over sin, but it is dangerous and not something to be trifled with. Like a simmering fire, it can turn into a raging inferno to consume us and destroy us. By being reminded of the impact and destruction of sin, we are grateful for God's grace in our lives. Here's another reason. Why are we made to see iniquity and look at wickedness? Second, to make us see the evil of sin, that we may turn from it, pass it by, abhor it, and not indulge in it. It is easier to see how sin, sin impacts others, yet we often downplay the impact that sin has in our own life. Yet when we encounter the horrific nature of sin, when we grasp how evil it truly is, it causes us to turn from it, pass by it, abhor it, not indulge in it, and run from it with all our strength and might. So why, maybe another reason why we see iniquity and look on wickedness? Third, to teach us to admire God's sovereignty. God has mercy upon whom he will have mercy. In his sovereignty, we realize that if we know the Lord, then we experience grace upon grace. God's grace becomes more obvious to us when we are surrounded by sin. God's light is brighter in the darkness. We see his gracious hand on your life, and we are eternally grateful for everything that Yahweh has done for us. Spurgeon thinks that the best answer, why are we allowed to see iniquity and look at wickedness, is this, that we may set out more earnestly to work. That we may, by the means of saving souls and extending the kingdom of righteousness, being surrounded by sin and unrighteousness encourages us to get 
involved in kingdom business. Habakkuk pleads to the Lord for help by reminding him that the law is being ignored and justice is not being carried out by Yahweh the just one. We find ourselves motivated by injustice of sin that we see around us. When we see iniquity, hopefully it causes us to faithfully serve the Lord and proclaim the hope of the gospel to a needy world. The Lord does work in ways that we cannot see and understand, but we know that he is carrying out these things for his glory and for our good if we walk in his ways. Habakkuk expressed his concern to Yahweh that he could not understand why God had not yet stopped, stepped in to deal with sin that was so prevalent throughout Judah. Habakkuk wanted to know how long it would be before God acted. Habakkuk wanted it to happen now on his timetable. Now let's consider Yahweh's response. After Habakkuk complains, Yahweh responds in verses 5 through 11. Look at the nations. Observe, be astonished, wonder, because I am doing something in your days. You would not believe it if you were told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. They are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate with themselves. Their horses are swifter than lepers, keener than wolves in the evening. Their horsemen come galloping. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swooping down to devour. All of them come for violence. The horde of faces moves forward. They collect captives like sand. They mock at kings and rulers, are a laughing matter to them. They laugh at every fortress and heap up rubble to capture it. Then they will sweep through like the wind and pass on, but they will be held guilty whose strength is their God. Yahweh responds with an answer that Habakkuk might find hard to believe and might be hard for him to accept and swallow. Look among the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder, because I am doing something in your days. You would not believe it if you were told. Yahweh begins by telling Habakkuk to expand his vision. Habakkuk was hoping for revival, but God was bringing judgment. He told Habakkuk to expand his worldview. Habakkuk was only focused on the immediate surroundings, but God was looking at the nations. God had not been silent. He had been at work even if Habakkuk could not see it or know it. God tells Habakkuk he is not going to believe how he is at work. Isn't Habakkuk like you and me? We make a plan, and we think that God should be, even must be, thinking and acting like us. Yet we know that God's ways are not man's ways. He works in ways we cannot see or imagine. Our vision is limited and myopic. We have tunnel vision. We focus on the here and now, the moment. God sees the big picture, His eternal plan, His story of redemption and restoration. We, may, we face many things that we do not understand or do not desire but like Habakkuk's time, God is also doing something in our day, something that we can't believe or understand. 
Our confidence, however, is in him, the sovereign God and creator of the universe. Everything, I say, everything is under his control and authority. We can take hope and comfort in that. We can rest and trust him. In verses 6 and 7, we see that Yahweh is using an unusual method to carry out judgment. For behold, I am rising up the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous people, who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. They are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate with themselves. Yahweh was using a heathen nation to punish his people. A heathen nation to punish his people. God was raising up the Babylonians to enact judgment on Judah. While it was a shock to Habakkuk, it really should not have surprised him. Because 700 years earlier, Moses had written in Deuteronomy 28, if you do not obey the Lord, the Lord will bring a nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth, as the eagle swoops down, a nation whose language you shall not understand, a nation of fierce countenance who will have no respect for the old nor show favor to the young. Then only a hundred years before Habakkuk lived, God had spoken to Hezekiah, the king of Judah, through the prophet Isaiah. Then Isaiah said to Ezekiel, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and all that your fathers have laid up to store in this day will be carried to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your sons who will issue from you, whom you will begat, will be taken away, and they will become officials in the palace of the king of Babylon. The Israelites had been warned repeatedly. If they walked in God's ways, they would find success. But if they disobeyed, they would experience God's hand of judgment. Punishment was coming, and it was being brought through the pagan Babylonians. The Assyrians at this time, the Assyrians and Egyptians were the world powers. They joined together and attacked Babylon, who resisted them and held their ground. It was the beginning of the end for Assyria and Egypt. It was beginning of the end for Judah, the last standing remnant of Israel. The nation of Jews was about to be destroyed and would not come again together as a nation for over 2,500 years until 1948. Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, and others would control them. Disobedience has severe consequences. The Babylonians were an evil people. They were fierce and reckless. They brought terror and fear to their enemies. They had no integrity or morality. They were ruthless and lawless doing as they pleased. But they were a tool in God's hand to be used for his justice. If Judah, Judah would not fear Yahweh, they would soon fear the enemy that he would send up against them. Their horses are swifter, in verse 8, than leopards, and keener than wolves in the evening. Their horsemen come galloping. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an evil, swooping down to devour. All of them come for violence. Their horde of faces moves forward. 
They collect captives like sand. They mock at kings and rulers or a laughing matter to them. They laugh at every fortress and heap up rubble to capture it. Then they will sweep through like the wind and pass on, but they will be held guilty, those whose strength is their God. Habakkuk describes the Babylonians in colorful and descriptive language. The picture here of the Babylonians is terrifying. Their army attacked with horses that are swifter than leopards and keener than wolves. They swoop in like an evil eagle starving for his prey. They're committed to violence and evil. They take prisoners like the sand of the beach. They mock kings, rulers, and leaders and back it up completely, destroying the fortresses they attack. They leave nothing behind but a pile of rubble. Their brutality was seen in the way they treated Zedekiah after Jerusalem fell. They killed his sons before his eyes, and then with that awesome sight burned into his memory, they put out his eyes, bound him in shackles, and took him prisoner to Babylon, 2 Kings 25, 7. There is no hope for stopping the Babylonians. Judgment was coming. Verse 11. Then they will sweep through like the wind and pass on, but they will be held guilty, they whose strength is their God. They accomplish their task quickly, and then they move on to conquer others. They were used to punish Judah for their disobedience, but they will not get a free pass. They will also be held guilty and responsible for their own sin. They are guilty before Yahweh just like Judah. They believe that might makes right. Their God is their strength, but pride does go before a fall. To put anyone or anything in God's place is evil. Matthew Henry expresses it this way. It is a great offense to take that glory to ourselves or to give it to gods of our own making that is due to the living and true God only. We are to love the Lord our God with all our might, soul, and strength. We are to have no other gods before Yahweh. The people of Judah were not doing this, and the people of Babylon were not doing it either. They were chasing after false gods, but they would both be judged for their sins. We'll learn more about Babylon's judgment later on in our study in this book. But rest assured, God's wrath is upon all people who live in disobedience. There are several truths we can take away from our study as we understand them, as we see them related to the character of God. Today, we have seen that God is just. He cannot and He will not Leave the guilty, go unpunished. His wrath is on those who disobey him, whether Jew or Gentile. At the same time, and praise God, the Lord is patient and slow to anger. The prophet Nahum expresses this. A jealous and avenging God is the Lord. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And the Lord will by no means 
let the guilty unpunished. The Lord is just, but the Lord is also merciful and loving. He waits patiently for others to turn to Him. When they do, He takes care of all who follow them. He takes care of all who walk in His ways. He is a stronghold and a refuge for His followers. He is worthy of our complete trust. The prophet Nahum continues to proclaim, the Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble, and He knows those who take refuge in Him. The conclusion of the matter is to seek after the Lord with all your mind, soul, and strength. He is our everything. He is all that we need. The prophet Isaiah writes, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him. And to our God, he will, for he will abundantly pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Remember, Yahweh is the sovereign God of the universe. Everything is under his hand. He does not work on our timetable, and he does not work in our ways. But we can count on him. We can trust him, even when we can't see him at work, and even when we are not sure why he is doing what he is doing. He is worthy of all our devotion. Join me in agreeing with the psalmist, my soul waits for the Lord, Psalm 130. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ear be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul does wait, and in His word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, indeed more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is loving kindness, and with Him is abundant redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Let's pray together. Father, you are a holy, righteous God who cannot look on sin. And Father, we're thankful that while we were yet stuck in our sin, you sent a redeemer, Jesus Christ, to come and rescue us and restore us. And Father, we are promised when we walk in your ways, we see blessing. When we disobey you and deface your name and seek after God's, your wrath is upon us. So, Father, may we walk in your ways. May we trust you when we can't see or understand the things that are going on around us. May our confidence be squarely in you in your word as you have communicated your truth to us, that we can live in you, we can live without fear, 
We can live with hope and courage for today. May we be encouraged in your word to walk in these ways, to glorify you. And may we be motivated to share your hope to a needy world all around us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you were challenged by the word of the Lord and invite you to join us again. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry in Montrose, come worship with us at 930 every Sunday along Lake Avenue.